You're listening to the Doxology and Theology Podcast, where we promote, encourage, and equip gospel-centered worship. For more information, visit us at doxologyandtheology.com. How's everybody doing? Good. Okay, there we go. Y'all doing all right? Good. There we go. One person's excited about Jesus today. Thank you. Uh, it has been good to, uh, to sing with y'all over the past few minutes. And man, there is, um, there is something uniquely uh, joyful about singing together. I mean, it did strike me that one of the few things, singing is one of the very few things that we get to do when we come together, where not, not only is everybody actively involved, but you can hear everybody's active involvement, and it just really has a, a way of pressing those truths in. So thank you all for serving me and even singing to Jesus together right now. And uh, what I'm going to do is I'm going to pray, and then we'll get started. Father, we uh, come before you again in Jesus' name. Father, and we are so grateful that we have a Savior to sing to together. Father, we're so grateful. Um, we're so grateful that you sent your son, Jesus, guys. We pray you give us grace to, um, to glory in him now, to um, lift him up now, to trust him now. Uh, Father, and we pray that you give me grace to preach with uh, boldness and truthfulness and clarity and you give the hearers grace to listen to your word. It's a waste of our time if all we get is the words of another man. It's a good use of our time if we hear from you, Father. So we ask you to speak to us and we ask this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Um, That uh, intro bio that Isaac read was way over the top. I didn't approve that. So... um, we're not going to do that next time. That was a little much. Uh, but I do, the, the interesting thing is, the thing I want to start out talking about today is resumes. Y'all know what resumes are. Resumes are those sheets of paper that kind of have on them who you are and what it is that you've done, the thing that you've accomplished. And one of the things interesting about me, since I'm a rapper, I don't have a whole lot of experience with resumes. Um, <clears throat> It's not like when I signed on my label, I like told them like, oh, I want a freestyle battle at lunchtime in high school. You know, that's, that's the kind of stuff that would have been on my resume. Uh, but the, the one time I did have to fill out a resume was when uh, I was about to become an intern at a church. And what they wanted to know, they wanted to know who I was and what it was that I had done so that they could see whether or not I was qualified to actually be an intern. That's what resumes are, who you are and what you've done. Uh, Though I would like to ask you, though, if you thought about your whole life, if you had to sum up your whole life on a page, a whole life resume, what would you put on there? What would you put on there about who you are and what you've done? What would you think those most notable things would be? And then my question to you would be, what do you think God thinks of that resume? And where do you think that'll get you with God? Who you are and what you've done. I mean, we know that most people assume that whether or not they go to heaven and get to spend an eternity with God, most people assume that that depends, at least some of it depends on who they are and what they've done, if they've been able to make it. I mean, when I talk to somebody and I ask them whether or not they have a relationship with God or what they think is going to happen after they die, the most common answer is I'm not sure or yes or no, whatever they say. But when you ask why, people always immediately point to who they are and what they've done. 
Other thing is, anytime Christians are gathered in a room, even like this, as we lead people in worship, even if they know with their minds that their eternity doesn't, uh, that if, if they get to spend eternity with God, it doesn't depend solely on who they are and what they've done, even if they know that mentally, we come with our hearts on that default setting, don't we? You know, when um, you've changed all the stuff in your phone and then something goes wrong, so you've made your settings, you put the picture of your cute kids, cute to you, on the front of the wallpaper, and you got, you know, your contacts in there, all of that stuff. And then sometimes something will go wrong and you'll have to reset it to all of the factory settings, back to how the phone was when it started, right? Well, our hearts, um, we may try to, as we grow in good ways, kind of mold and shape our hearts to make them look more and more like Jesus and to go with the things in God's word. But when our hearts, often what they'll do is they'll default back to their factory setting. And that factory setting is, if God is going to have anything to do with me, I need to earn my way to him. And so when Christians gather in rooms like this, even if we know better, we still come. Sometimes having a week where we felt like we didn't want to pray because we felt like we weren't good enough or felt like we don't know how God feels about us because we did something wrong. And so what we have the opportunity to do is to remind people of what God has said in his word about our resumes. We're going to look uh, at Paul's letter to the Philippians where Paul talks about a resume of his own and he's going to speak to us about that resume and where it gets him with God and we may not always love what he says but it's God's word so if you don't like what I say blame Paul. Philippians chapter 3. And the main question I want to ask and answer right now is we focus on Christ alone. Main question I want to ask and answer is this what good is your personal resume when you stand before God? That's the main question I want to ask. What good is your personal resume when you stand before God? And I'll answer the question right now. Your resume falls short, but Jesus can give you his. Your resume falls short, but Jesus can give you his. Look at Philippians chapter 3. I I just want to start, just, just look at this first verse. He says, finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. And he says that after he's been going through so much of this book, laying out big truths about the gospel, how they should live in light of it. And he tells them that they need to rejoice in the Lord. And rejoice is one of those Christian terms that we like to throw out, but we don't even really know what it means often, right? It's like, man, my house just burned down. Rejoice in the Lord, brother. Like, all right, I'm gonna cry first, but It's just words we just throw out. So we start to talk about rejoicing. Rejoicing, uh, it's like that shout for joy that a kid gives when they get that Christmas gift that they want, right? They they see it. The only thing they can do is just express joy. It's an expression of a rock-solid and unspeakable joy in Christ. And specifically in this passage, Paul is talking about rejoicing, uh, confidence in the rock-solidness of Jesus as opposed to a kind of confidence and rejoicing in our own works. And one of the amazing things is when God tells us to rejoice in the Lord, even as we saw when we just sang, music has a unique ability to help us to do that. So uh, the fact that God so often calls us to, as believers in Jesus, rejoice, and he's given us music, one of the most unique and beautiful ways to do that should make us feel privileged, that we get to hold beautiful truths out before people, and we get to hold them out in beautiful ways. That's a privilege. God has called us to rejoice in the Lord. I mean, one of my favorite examples of rejoicing with music, as a side note, Exodus 15, after God delivers the Israelites, they pass through the Red Sea. It's incredible. Pharaoh's army goes after them. The water crashes in on them. They've just seen something incredible. And after they've seen that, 
How do they choose to respond to God? They don't just talk about it. They don't have a small group sign. They start to sing, right? They just had like a praise party outside in the desert, in the wilderness. I imagine it was a dude like doing a worm in the dirt and they were just singing these incredible songs of praise to God. In beautiful ways, they rejoiced in the God who has delivered them. And and, and Paul in his passage is going to call us to do the same. Our hope and our gladness has to be in Christ alone and what he's done as opposed to what we've done. And we want to hold this before other people. So I want to point to three things we see in this passage uh, about what it means to hope in Christ alone. A reminder, your resume falls short, but Jesus can give you his. First thing I want to tell you to do, number one, is don't lean on your resume. Number one, don't lean on your resume. And the funny thing about saying that is we are accustomed to hearing the exact opposite of that so often throughout our life, right? When we was in uh, school, we encouraged, hey, get really good grades, do plenty of extracurricular activities, even if other kids laugh at you for them, so you can boost your resume and you can get into college. As we work, you know, we want to get the right kind of experience so we can present that before people and they'll think that we're qualified. It shows whether or not we're qualified, but when it comes to the kingdom of God, when it comes to God's family, what we see is the opposite. Who you are and what you've done, no matter how many activities you stack up, is never going to be enough to get you into the family of God. It may get you into a college. It may get you into a job. It will not get you into the family of God. And Scripture is really clear that who we are, fundamentally, we are uh, beautiful creatures made in the image of God, and we're also sinners who have rebelled against God. We're rebels. When it comes to what we've done, we have rebelled against God. We spat in His face. We've turned away from His commandments. We sought to worship anything but Him. So if we come before God and expect to depend on who we are and what we've done to spend an eternity with Him, we are going to be disappointed. We are not right with God and we are not qualified to spend an eternity with Him because those qualifications would be, of course, perfection. And we fall short. So if we're to have any hope of being in the family of God, our resume isn't going to cut it. Listen to what Paul says in Philippians 3. I'll continue in verse 1. He, he had said, finally, my brothers rejoice in the Lord. He says, to write the same things to you is no trouble to me and it's safe for you. So he's saying, hey, I'm about to tell you something I've told you before, but it's not a trouble for me and it's safe for you. It's like my dad when he used to say, hey, I know you don't listen, so I'm going to keep saying this to you. He said stuff like that to me often. And the first thing that he's going to start out trying to tell them that that they need to hear, even though it's not something new, is he's going to tell them to watch out. Now, did your parents ever tell you growing up uh, to watch out for certain kids, like don't hang out with them? When I was real little, when I was probably five years old, there was this kid at the school I went to. His name was Michael Mikalinka. That's a real name, real person. (laughs) Um, I always think whenever I say this, one day he's going to like be in the room and be offended, but... Let's deal with that another day. His name is Michael Michalinka. He was bad, okay? He was poorly behaved. And my parents did not want me to hang out with this kid because when he came over our house, they was like, if you ever do that, I'm not his father, but if I was, right, don't hang out with him because I don't want you doing that stuff. And I'm like, I don't know what stuff five-year-olds were doing. It didn't seem that terrible to me. And so I would just be like, okay, and then I'd hang out with him at school when they weren't looking. 
But the reason they would say that is because they didn't want the stuff that he did and the way he lived his life to rub off on me. So Paul here, like a good father, like, like a good shepherd, is going to tell the Philippians to watch out for some particular people who he doesn't want the way that they think and the stuff that they teach to rub off on the Philippian church. So he says, so he says to them, uh, verse 2, look out for the dogs, look out for the evildoers, look out for those who uh, mutilate the flesh, right? And... Uh, it seems like he's talking about these Judaizers, these people who told people, as opposed to what we're talking about tonight, Christ alone, that trusting in Christ alone was not enough for their salvation, right? That if they really wanted to, to, to be Christians, they had to follow Old Testament law to be in the people of God. Faith alone isn't enough. You've got to add something extra to that. What Christ did isn't good enough. And so Paul uses strong language here when he calls them dogs and, and evildoers. Now, when he says dogs, when we think dog, we think our cute little pet, you know what I'm saying, who's real cute and we take pictures with on Instagram. Um, that's not what Paul has in mind. Paul has in mind the lowest on the totem pole of animals, dogs, disgusting scavengers, uh, not cute poodles, but uh, wild scavengers, right? And, and he calls them evildoers. They, they do evil things. He calls them mutilators of the flesh because of their obsession with Old Testament circumcision. And Paul treats this so seriously. Someone may say, why is Paul doing name calling? That doesn't seem very Christ-like. Why doesn't Paul just say, hey, I don't... I don't they're probably not doing it the best way, so maybe there's somebody else you can think of. The reason that Paul uses such serious language is because what they taught was a very serious error. What they taught didn't just threaten them for a day, it threatened their eternity. It was the worst kind of error. I hope we understand that not all false teaching is created equal. This is the worst kind of false teaching, the kind of false teaching that distorts who you trust in for your eternity. This is not uh, a small kind of false teaching. This is life and death false teaching. We can disagree about spiritual gifts. We can disagree about worship styles. We can disagree about the end times and exactly when Jesus will come back. Don't show me your charts after this service. But we cannot, <laughs> if we're united in Christ, we cannot disagree about how we're saved. We cannot disagree about who paid for our salvation. Either Jesus paid it all or he didn't. These guys were saying that Jesus had not paid it all. Trusting in Christ alone is enough. What they suggested with this is that truly trusting in Jesus isn't enough. There's something else we have to add to it. That, that is a disrespect to the Son of God who paid for our sins to say, Jesus, I know you think you took care of it, but I think you missed a spot. Let me add something to what you did. Jesus, I know you don't understand this. You thought you took care of it, but what I understand is that I have some good stuff I can do that I can put beside yours to make sure it's taken care of. It's not only false, it's not only dangerous, it's an insult to the Son of God who said that it was finished. And the reason this is dangerous is it's like when someone's drowning in a pool. You know, they're kicking and flailing. When a lifeguard dives in to save you, what are you supposed to do? You're just supposed to stay still. You had your chance to swim. You lost it, okay? <laughs> yeah. You got to say that for another time, okay? So they jump in. You just need to stay limp so that they can take care of you. Because otherwise, what happens? You're kicking and flailing and stuff, and they can't really do their job. You're getting in the way of their saving. And it's the same way. As long as we think we have something to add to the salvation of Jesus, we will not trust in Christ alone to do what he came to do and what he accomplished. 
As long as we think we have something to add to the equation, we take away from the sufficiency of Christ. So Paul is saying, watch out. Watch out. Now, I don't want us to imagine that just because we don't know any Judaizers by name, that there's nobody with a Judaizer-like spirit or Judaizer-like motivations. It would be foolish of us to think that this kind of false teaching is dead. It would be foolish to think the kind of people that we lead and worship do not come in having heard people spread false things like this. The most popular kind of false teaching is the kind that says that Christ isn't enough. And we need to warn people with the same seriousness that Paul did. If you love people, you warn people about danger. And Paul is warning them about this danger. There's danger in prosperity teaching that teaches that what Christ has done isn't enough, what he offers isn't enough. We need more now. There's danger in Roman Catholic teaching that teaches that faith in Christ alone isn't enough. We need to add our works to it. There's danger in lots of teaching that goes against what Paul talks about here. And so we want to warn people of those dangers. Side note, don't misunderstand me to say that works are not important. It's just that works are not the thing that gets us a relationship with God. Works are what we do when we have a relationship with God. Work doesn't produce our salvation. Work is a fruit of our salvation. Right? Right? Uh, Serving Christ is what happens when you know Christ. It's not what you do to make Christ love you. It's what you do when you realize he loves you. Right? Works are of extreme importance, but that's not how we get in good with God. Let's keep looking at what he says, uh, 3.3. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. He's saying, look, we're the circumcision, men, we're the ones who've been circumcised in the true sense, meaning uh, what the Old Testament calls a circumcision of the heart, right? Because circumcision of the flesh is an outward thing that's supposed to represent something that's happened inward. It's like a, it's like a name tag, something outward that shows what's going on inside, who you are, what you're like. He's saying we're the ones with that true kind of circumcision of the heart, right, who worship by the Spirit of God and who glory in Christ and put no confidence in the flesh. That word glory basically means boast. He's saying we boast in Christ, not ourselves. He's what we hope in. Jesus is what we're banking on. Here's what we, he's what we're excited about, not in our works, but in the works of Jesus, I want to ask you, what is it that you're banking on today? One of the quickest ways to know what we boast in and what we bank on is how we respond when it gets taken away. If you've placed all of your security on a particular relationship, you'll know it when that relationship gets taken away. Matter of fact, if it even seems threatened for a moment and it seems like the end of the world, it's pretty easy to see we've been banking on that and not in Christ alone. Paul is saying Christ is what we should glory in. He's what we should bank on. And it's very easy for us to put our confidence in the flesh and what we've done. Uh, One of the ways this has been shown to me in my life is I I have a health issue called chronic fatigue syndrome. And what that does is that makes me considerably weaker uh, physically. And a lot of things that I want to do or maybe even things I used to be able to do, I'm not able to do anymore. And what that often shows me is there are times when I've put my hope and the main thing that I'm banking on is my own strength and energy. So that when I'm not able to do something, it feels like the end of the world where if I realize that I should be banking on boasting in the strength of Jesus and not my own, that it may be disappointing, but it wouldn't be the end of the world. The Lord Jesus doesn't have weak moments. 
God is in the heavens. He doesn't sleep or slumber. So even when I sleep and slumber, he's still holding the world up. And my justification and my eternity does not depend on my strength in any given week. It's already been accomplished, not by me, but by Christ alone. What are you banking on and boasting in today? That's a good question to ask yourself as we move forward. Who we are, what we've done won't make us right with God. Some of us, uh, some people often think that uh, just the way that they grew up or what they were around will somehow guarantee them a spot in God's family. God says otherwise. Uh, number one was, uh, number one was, uh, I forgot my wording, sorry. I didn't forget the Bible though, I love that. Number one was don't lean on your resume. Number two was to lose your resume. Number two, lose your resume. You know, people love to brag. People love to talk about stuff they do just for no reason. They just want you to know how great they are. You know who's the best braggers, world-class braggers? Rappers. Not me, but other rappers. <laughs> rappers are really good at this. I, I, I have an example from a song that was popular a few years ago. Uh, this is what the rapper says. Um, he says, got everything, I got everything. I cannot complain, I cannot I don't even know how much I really made. I forgot. It's a lot. Never mind what I got. I would have put the lyrics on the screen, but I'd have to bleep it, so I'll just read it. He says, don't watch, don't watch that because I came up. That's all me. Stay true. That's all me. No help. That's all me. All me for real. Came up. That's all me. Stay true. That's all me. No help. That's all me. Wonder who it was. All me for real. Yeah, this brother, he feels good about himself. <laughs> he's very confident that everything he has so much, he's made so much he can't even remember. He, everything he has was all because of him. And this is a very clear example of, of bragging. I have all this stuff and I did it all by myself. Somebody may say, now Tripp, what's wrong with that? He's just stating facts. He does have a lot of money and maybe he has a bad memory actually. He doesn't remember how much he has. And what I'm going to say is, uh, in, in, in this passage in Philippians 3, Paul, in a very different way, is going to run through a, thing, a list of things, even things that his listeners would value and, and things that his listeners would envy. And he's going to talk about it in a very different way than what we just read. Back to Philippians chapter 3. Let's look at verse 4. He says, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. He says, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Paul says he has no confidence in the flesh, but he's showing that, look, if anybody has reason for confidence in the flesh, it's me. And so this is to tell us that this isn't like the dude who's never won anything and is like, winning's not everything. Right? You don't trust that dude like, you don't know. You don't even know what winning feels like. You lose so often. This is not that. This isn't little league when your team was terrible and the coach is like, just have fun. That's all that matters. And it was because y'all never won. This is Paul saying... I had everything that people want, especially there was a spiritual value. Listen to my pedigree. Listen to these things that I'm listening off. Listen to who I am and what I've done. He said, I have reason for confidence in the flesh, and yet I don't have any. 
I don't put my confidence there, and he's going to tell us why. Though this is a rebuke to a lot of us who have impressive spiritual resumes and wear that as a badge of some kind of importance. Paul is saying, look, I have it, but, but I, I don't see it like that. Uh, verse 7, whatever gain I had, I count it as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. So you see, you see what he's doing. This is the opposite of the rapper who is saying, look at all this stuff and feel bad about yourself because I'm better than you. Paul is saying, look at all of this stuff. I'm not trying to make you envy me. I'm trying to help you to see the true emptiness of these things that they don't accomplish the thing that we need most. He wants to help us to think about what we should do with who we are and what we've done moving forward. And the answer to that is count it as loss. Count it as loss. Don't glory in it. Don't brag about it. Count it as loss. Right? And what does it mean to consider what used to be gained as loss for the sake of Christ? And, and basically what that means is it's not like he can erase this stuff from his past, but here's what he does. He doesn't just add faith in Christ to that list as the equation. He erases that list and understands that doesn't get me anywhere, and what Jesus has is what matters most. Here's an example. When a man gets married, let me tell you what he doesn't do. If he already had a bunch of girlfriends, he's not like, I got all these girlfriends, and I'm trying to get married in addition to that. He was like, girl, if you're trying to marry me, just know I got these five girlfriends. I want to stick with them too, but you're going to be my wife. That, that doesn't make sense, right? That young man should be slapped. Part of the definition, slapped with the word of God, part of the definition of marriage is that a man takes all of his romantic affection, his leadership, he loves and commits himself in covenant to one woman forever. He cannot add her to the equation of a bunch of other stuff. Once he marries this woman, this woman has all of his affection and love and, and all of that, that that's supposed to be directed at her. He counts the rest of that as lost, and in the same way, even if you think you have some kind of special spiritual resume that looks valuable to other people, at the end of the day, if you're banking on that for your hope, you are foolish. Christ alone is all that matters. Christ alone is the only thing that gets us in the family of God. Christ alone is the only thing that we can bank on. Paul says, count that other stuff as lost. Treat it as if it didn't exist, because if the goal is eternity with God, that does nothing for you. So there's plenty of stuff that's in your life that you have that is good, some of it important. But let it play its role. It's good and important. It's not what you're to bank on. It's not what you're to boast in. It's not what you're to depend on. It's not what you're to build your life around. Jesus plays that role, and he should do that alone. And why would he count them as lost? And Paul says, because Jesus is surpassingly greater than all of it. Right? The main theme of all of this is knowing Christ. Knowing Jesus is better than all of that. So when it comes to knowing Christ, it's this relationship with Jesus that comes through faith. Knowing Christ. Not just knowing facts about Jesus. Knowing Christ comes from putting that rock-solid hope in him. Paul says, it's for his sake I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish because Jesus is surpassingly greater. He's talking about like seeing something that looks great and then seeing Christ and seeing this is actually trash. It was like looking at something, thinking it's amazing, then seeing Christ and looking back and realizing it's not. It's like if my son builds a little Eiffel Tower with Legos, I'm like, that is amazing. If I see the actual Eiffel Tower, I'm like, 
that was, that was cute, but this is like historic architecture. But that was nice, son, right? Some things seem grand when you see them by themselves, but when you see them in comparison to Christ, you see them for what they are. So there are a lot of things that we think are treasure that we should build our life on that are actually trash, that are rubbish, as Paul talks about here. There are plenty of things in our lives that we give way more value than they deserve, knowing Jesus is greater than that. You may have a lot of money knowing Jesus is greater than that. You may have a great job knowing Jesus is greater than that. And we can put anything at the front of that sentence and the end of the sentence still works. Knowing Jesus is greater than that. And Paul is saying, look, that's why I count those things as lost, because knowing Christ is better. You know, if you think about some of the things that we value so much, uh, we'll see them a lot more clearly if we, if we look at them in light of eternity. One of the things about death, even though it's really hard, is it sobers us. There's a lot of things that seem stupid and petty when you think about somebody on the door of eternity. It would do our souls well to think about that more often. If the people that we have opportunities to lead in worship, if we want them to see Jesus as surpassingly greater than, than things that we would build our life around instead, then we might want to magnify and lift up this Jesus as if he's actually great. One of the ways that we can do this is by choosing and writing actual good songs. Some people have a very small view of God. Some churches have a very small view of God because they've never encountered a bigger one. They've been fed this little small God every single week who's just like your friend who can get you out of some situations and it makes you smile. When the God of the Bible is much bigger and greater than that and grander, right? Uh, it is a service and a ministry to people when you put good songs before them and you show them a Christ who's greater. And not just saying God is greater, show them how and why God is greater. One of the things that happens, now, I do think there's, there's a really good thing that happens with songs that are more repetitive and songs that are really dense. There's a balance we want to find in those. But sometimes, well, for example, one thing is you go to some of our churches, you think that the fall never happened. It's all very happy songs. It's like the Lego song in our church. It's everything is awesome. <laughs> everything is awesome. And you just sing that over and over again. Right? If there's a song and literally the only words are God is good, then that could be a good, true song. But if that's the only kind of songs that we sing, then people who don't know a lot about God's goodness, they're forced to import all the content into the words by themselves as they sit there. And so if somebody has not read a lot of scripture, if they haven't reflected on God much, if they're a brand new Christian, you're asking them to do things that they cannot do. Whereas if someone's a very mature Christian, they can maybe import lots of content into that. What we want to do also is we want to give people songs with such good content that at the beginning of the song, they may not be convinced of God's goodness, but the song takes them on such a journey and puts God's goodness so much before them. They would think of how God created all things and how God saved sinners, how God is sending his son Jesus to come back out. He's going to reign over all things. And when we put that truth in front of people and sing it together, people may have come in that room not thinking that Christ was greater than some things, and they can leave with a different perspective. Let's show people a big Jesus. And what we're doing when we magnify Jesus, we're not trying to blow up a little small Jesus to trick people. We want people to see Jesus is actually bigger than the stuff that you think is big. And as we go through our weeks, there are relationships that seem bigger than Jesus. And there are problems that seem bigger than Jesus. 
And there are good things that seem bigger than Jesus. And what we get to do is we get to call people to something and show them Jesus is much bigger than you thought he was. Right? Those things are much smaller. As we lead people, whether that's in preaching or singing or praying or whatever we do, we want to show people. Whatever's at the beginning of the sentence, you have this. Jesus is surpassingly greater than that. And that's good news uh, to give people. That's good news we want to set before people. Last thing, we want to receive Christ's resume, right? So don't lean on your resume, lose your resume. Finally, receive Christ's resume. Verse 8. He says, indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. He says, in order that I may gain Christ, like I I get rid of those things, I stop banking on those things and boasting in those things. I get those out of the way so that I can gain Christ and be found in him. I love how scripture talks about being in Jesus, in Christ. And I love to remind people, the place where you need to be to receive forgiveness of sins, to receive the grace God wants to pour out on you for an eternity, to receive a relation with God is not in the church building or in a conference, it's in Christ. That's the shelter from the storm. There's a storm of God's wrath. There's a storm of the troubles of this world. There's a storm of the world, the flesh, and the devil. The shelter from that storm, the house you need to be in is Christ. Paul is saying, I want to be found in him. That's the sphere of blessing. That's where forgiveness of sins is. That's where true joy is, is in Christ. And he said, I count everything lost so that I can gain Christ and be in him. And then he says, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. I don't know how much clearer Paul can get about any righteousness that a believer will have. It is not righteousness that we drum up by ourselves. It is the righteousness of Jesus alone. There's a story that makes me think of this. When I was uh, a few years ago, I was um, going to a concert. I had to rent a car. You know, I gave my card for it. And I don't know why the most embarrassing thing that can happen to you is your card getting declined, but this happened to me. I was like, oh, Mr. Barefoot, can I see your card? Gave it to her. She swiped it. She was like, your card got declined. I was like, why? You, they can hear you. They're right there. And I said, I don't think he swiped it right. So you just swipe it again. I think we'll be fine. She swiped it. She said, yeah, your card got declined. And I'm getting offended. I'm like, I work hard to provide for my family, okay? You're not going to tell me I didn't work. And so she's swiping it. And I'm like, try my other card. I'm trying to like call the bank. I'm like, they're not answering. I promise I work hard. And we're going through all this. And my friend is beside me. My friend's like, Trip, you just, I, I don't know what's going on. I'm like, I work. He's like, no, no, I know. Just use, <laughs> just use, just use my car real quick. I was like, bro, I don't, I don't need you. I got my money. It's like, bro, just use my car. We're going to be late. I was like, whatever. So we used his card, and his card worked fine, and, and then we went on about our way. Uh, side note, I did have money. It was a problem with the bank. But moving on, <laughs> for whatever reason, bank errors, for whatever reason, the money that was supposed to be in my account wasn't there. 
So I could have sat there all day telling her to swipe my card. I could have done some push-ups in between. I could have called the bank. I could have went out and, you know, did some songs for a little bit. I could do whatever I wanted in that moment. My account did not have the funds that I needed to get that car. What I needed was somebody else with an account with plenty, right, that could supply me with what I needed. And here's the thing with receiving the righteousness of Jesus. When we stand before God, our bank accounts of righteousness are absolutely empty. There are insufficient funds. You can swipe the card as many times as you want. You will not have the righteousness that will earn you an eternity with God. The only way that can happen is if the Lord Jesus, in his grace, swaps accounts with us. If the Lord Jesus takes our account that is empty and takes the punishment that we deserve for that, the rejection that we reserve for no righteousness, and he takes that punishment and he gives us his righteous account and everything that comes with that, that is the only way we'll be righteous before God. So Paul is saying, I gained Christ and righteousness, not that I, owned, not that I earned by the law, but that was given to me by God himself by faith you want to be righteous before God, don't try to do a bunch of stuff. You're not going to be righteous enough. Receive the righteousness freely offered by Christ alone. And this is important for us to remember, not just for our conversion, but for our daily lives as we interact with God. Because our hearts default to wanting to earn it ourselves all the time. I know I'm not the only one who feels funny praying sometimes like, ah, but I didn't read the Bible today. God doesn't like me. It's like God... God never liked you because of you in the first place. I mean, God likes me. You know, he made me, so he likes me. But it's like I didn't get this relationship with God because I performed real well. He wasn't like, you read the Bible nine days in a row. Come on. That's not how it happened. It was through what Christ had done. Uh, This is important for us to remember. I love what uh, Spurgeon says. Uh, He says this. He says, oh, you say, I do not repent enough. He said, that is looking to yourself. I do not believe enough. That is looking to yourself. I am too unworthy. That is looking to yourself. I cannot discover, says another, that I have any righteousness. It's quite right to say you don't have any righteousness, but it's wrong to look for any. It is look unto me that God says, God will have you turn your eye off of yourself and look unto him. Right? Maybe we just feel like we've never performed well enough to be accepted by anybody else, and the good news is that Jesus performed on our behalf. We trust in him, and we get the eternal life that we don't deserve. And one of the beauties of this is that we get to rest. We get to rest in Christ so that when I go before God, I'm not going before him wondering whether or not I'm still his child. Even as I've sinned, I'm going before him to ask me to look more like his son Jesus. The other great thing about this is we don't have to be in prison to what people think about us. Right? I know I'm not the only prideful person who wants everybody to think I'm amazing. And there can be so many times where somebody's opinion of us can really just really destroy us. It is incredible to remember you may not like me. That has nothing to do with my eternity. The Lord Jesus likes me. Right? You may not accept me. That's cool. God accepts me in Jesus. Right? You may be singing on a Sunday morning and somebody doesn't like your singing. You're like, that's all right. Jesus likes it. Right? And that sounds silly, 
But there is great power in not being in prison to what people think of you. Because when we are in prison to what people think of us, we begin to make decisions not based on what's faithful to God, but what we can do to make them like us. And that is the quickest way to compromise in any situation, to take your eyes off of how God feels about it and on to what other people think about it. That is a sure way to disobey God. But instead, when we can say, I know I'm accepted in Christ for sure because of something that happened for sure 2,000 years ago, and the righteousness is in my account for sure, I don't have to perform for you. I have all the acceptance I'll ever need. And performing for men's acceptance instead of God's is like working for monopoly money instead of real money. You're wasting your time. That doesn't matter. That game lasts an hour. We over here, maybe four or five hours, depending. Um, <laughs> But here's what we do. We waste our time trying to make people like us for a few years when there are pleasures forevermore at the right hand of God, right? And he's accepted us in Christ, and that's really good news, and that's the kind of news we get to hold before people when we lead them in worship. Hey, one of the beautiful things is God isn't telling us to hold some bad news in front of people like, got to make people like this bad news. It's good news. We're telling people to rejoice in stuff that's actually joyful. That's a gift from God. That's a gift from God, and we want to take advantage of that, um, and we, we want to really uh, praise God for that gift that he's given us. So uh, what good will your personal resume do you when you stand before God? Your resume isn't good enough, but Jesus will give you his. That is amazing news, and that's the kind of news that we want in our hearts to propel us as we serve in any way. Christ alone, what he's done for us is incredible. There's so many songs that lift up this truth. I'm going to close by reading some from a few of them. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Nothing can for sin atone, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Not the good that I have done, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Behold him there, the risen lamb, my perfect spotless righteousness, the great unchangeable I am, the king of glory and of grace, one in himself I cannot die. My soul is purchased by his blood. My life is hid with Christ on high, with Christ my Savior and my God. Our only hope is the righteousness of Jesus. Our only hope is the sacrifice of Jesus. Our only hope is the resurrection of Jesus. All we have is Christ, and that's plenty. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for what you've done for us in Jesus. God, we thank you that Christ is enough. Father, we thank you that we're not spending our lives trying to earn something greater than what we've had. What you've given us in Christ is greater than anything else. God, help us to see Christ for who he is, surpassingly greater than all things, Father. Help us to bank on him. Help us to boast in him. Father, give us hearts to love him more. Father, we pray that as we fall more and more in love with you, that we bank on Jesus more and more, God. That would free us to see our lives not as something that's most precious in the universe only to protect, but also as something to spend for the greatest news there ever been. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.